This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone online. Thank you all for being here, and especially welcome to anyone who's new. Um, it's kind of funny that I had to stop and remember what I called this talk. Because this morning I was printing it out, and my husband came over and looked over my shoulder, and I had the title on the page is Crossing Over. And he said, Oh, it's about death. <laughs> and I was like, No, actually, <laughs> it's not about death. <laughs> but it, it's I'm trying to tell you, trying to kind of tell you why I'm giving this talk. There are a couple of reasons. One was I was thinking about last weekend and our Bodhisattva precept ceremony that we had, and many of you were at, uh, where three members of our Sangha received the precepts. That's one way of describing what happened. They took vows to live according to 16 Bodhisattva precepts, which are, we'll call them ethical guidelines. Uh, That's at least a simple explanation of what they are. And in part of that ceremony is to receive a new name, a new Buddhist name, and to receive a raksu. You'll see some people wearing these blue, uh, sort of bib-like things. It's called a raksu. And in that ceremony, we talk about, we call it a couple of different things. We call it jukai, which means to give and receive the precepts. You can't receive them unless someone gives them, right? formally speaking anyway. Of course, anybody can vow to practice with these, but there's a, this is a formal ceremony making a commitment uh, witnessed by the Sangha and family and friends often too. It's also called Zaike Tokudo, which is a Japanese phrase, and the Zaike part is staying home. And the Tokudo part is part of what I want to talk about. There's also priest ordination, where you get to sow a bigger version of this uh, Rakasu, and that's called Shuke Tokudo. And shuke tokudo is leaving home. They're both tokudo. One is staying home. One is leaving home. Right. Somewhat inspired by that occasion, and also by Mako's talk and interaction with all of you, exploring what these vows are and how we keep them, I decided to give this talk. So I'm talking about what is a Buddhist ideal, and actually an ideal in a lot of spiritual practices. Right? Leaving home and renouncing worldly affairs, we say in Buddhism frequently, right? Uh, the concerns of the world. And this is a strong recommendation that, you know, sincere and dedicated practitioners literally leave home, right? Leave home, enter a monastery or some other retreat-like setting, sometimes practicing by themselves, and to assume the form of a monk, which, you know, is an archetype in many spiritual traditions, right? And in the Buddhist world, a monk wears robes of different colors, uh, but actually this over-the-shoulder outfit is one that is pretty much shared by all Buddhist traditions. It was, uh, it's said to be the creation of the Buddha himself, right? So we all wear this one-shoulder bare robe, and what you wear underneath it and what color it is varies a lot, but that's our, our, that's our Buddhist archetype. Usually a renunciant monk will have a shaved head, although not always, and the purpose of this is to live simply and to single-mindedly and wholeheartedly practice without the distractions of everyday life, <laughs> right? So a home lever is a person, and, and the archetype, the default archetype is usually male, right? who has left the householder life, is celibate, and in especially early Buddhist uh, communities, and still today in some uh, traditions, relies on donated food. Right? It, the community, the lay community, supports the monks to practice, and they receive merit and uh, possibly a better rebirth by, by uh, supporting the monks to practice. And a monk owns a bare minimum of things, usually two robes, a bowl, a needle and thread to repair them, and maybe, you know, a few other 
really very basic possessions or things, and has no fixed place to live, little personal space or what we call personal time. And they may wander part of the year, this is the pattern in Buddha's time, and practice in a solitary way. You know, the word monk comes from the Greek word for solitary or alone, and then practice during some parts of the year with various teachers. You know, so some traditions, there isn't even a single monastery that you can call home. And in Japanese, novice monks are called unsui, cloud and water, right? What could be more sort of drifty and evanescent than clouds and water, right? Drifting and flowing simply and naturally. So that's the ideal or the archetype. The Buddha himself is the archetype of a home lever, right? A prince destined to be a king who had it all (laughs) and walked away from it all, right? Dissatisfied with life even in a bliss realm. He walked away from a palace, from a kingdom, from his family, including an infant son, and all pleasures and privileges to seek the truth about existence, right? So this is the expression of that wandering home lever in our, in our Buddhist tradition. And there is a reason that Buddhist monks are venerated in Asia and supported by their communities. It's a very difficult path to follow and one that few take up as a lifetime commitment. So the admonition to leave it all behind, I don't know about you, but it, it may elicit kind of strong and complex feelings. I mean, when you hear these kinds of injunctions like, you know, give up worldly affairs, or you hear the story of the Buddha leaving it all behind. What do you, what comes up for you? Yeah. Uh, when you leave your family behind, uh, what happens to them? Yeah, <laughs> right? So that's one thing. What happens to your family? Right? What happens to your commitments? Anything else? I always think about, what if I get sick? <laughs> <laughs> what if I get sick? Yeah, who is going to take care of me, yeah. right? If you don't have the ties of family, yeah. who will take care of me? Uh, safety and security. Leaving safety and security? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And kind Jane? of in a gendered way, I think that must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you all heard that. <laughs> you said in a gendered way, I think that must be nice. <laughs> to just walk away from everything? Yeah. Longing. Longing? Longing. Can you say a little more? Very attractive to me. Mm. Longing. Very. You know, getting back to the gendered way, there is something about honoring the interdependence that you have with your existing relationships. And to leave that behind feels like shirking something you value and that's important and it shouldn't be cut off. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Yeah. Think of um, anxiety and, and the unknown, like vast, immense unknown. The challenge of practicing with anxiety. <laughs> yeah, the anxiety and the vast unknown and practicing with that. Yeah, these are all, you know, kind of like, I'm not surprised <laughs> that this is what comes up. I think for me, one of the questions along with that, who's going to take care of me question is the financial security, right? To just let to let go of all of that, which many of us spend a lot of time worrying about or trying to find a secure place where we have an expectation that we'll have resources and knowing that, you know, we're lucky to have those resources to actually renounce them seems almost reckless or ungrateful. So yeah, lots of complicated things come up from considering this. Yes. I was gonna say, um, when it comes to leaving this leaving these things behind, like when you, a lot of times when you read narratives about, you know, monks who have done this, they had all those things and then they talk about how those things were not what they thought they would be. Like it's like they, they're leaving these things behind that, that it wasn't, I mean it was a sacrifice, but it wasn't like this, those thing, they needed something that they were by leaving those things behind, they were gaining something. Yeah, and that's where I think the longing comes in sometimes when we hear about this life. It's like, you also know what it costs to maintain all of that, mm-hmm. right? 
we all know that, even if we love our families and our friends and we are grateful and you know, mindful of what we have and how lucky we are, it still sometimes feels like a burden, <laughs> right? So this talk is not about the Buddha and his life, but I want to say you know, that his life followed him, right? His mother, his relatives, his son all showed up <laughs> right later. He could not really escape them. And the... Uh... <laughs> well, it's true. And, you know, he lived in a palace with attendants and all. He had, there were people who were going to take care of his wife and son. It's not like he abandoned them by the side of the road and said, now you take care of yourself, right? So there are many nuances to this narrative and this archetype. And his son's name means... Something like Fetter. Chain. Anvil. Anchor. Rahula. Rahula. Yeah. But he became a monk. That was as he, he went and he claimed his father's true inheritance, which was to be awake, to be awakened. Okay, so so the admonition to leave things behind. We've heard we've I thank you for your offerings. <laughs> So, you know, selfishly, selfishly abandoning your family and skipping out on responsibilities, right, is not virtuous behavior to us, right? This is like, we don't do that. It's not considered admirable. On the other hand, too, and this is the gratitude for our lives, most of us at least, you know, daily we're confronted with forced home leaving, right? Refugees all over the world, leaving behind at least some of their family, community, culture, and experiencing great hardship in the search for safety and a new home. I mean, a form of renunciation, even if it's not by choice. So, you know, it seems kind of cruel to us. How can something so extreme as leaving one's spouse and children or other family, something so apparently, you know, uncompassionate, be a path of liberation that benefits everyone? That's, that's at least the part of the archetype. So we may reasonably ask, right, we're all home stayers here, including me. <laughs> we may reasonably ask if it really is necessary to do this in order to practice and to actualize Buddhist teaching, Zen teaching, and the reality that it is inviting us to experience and understand and enter. Or can we say, as we often do in you know, this day and age, oh, it's a metaphor. Right? And we find ways to kind of get around what appears to be a clear teaching, right? Is it an exhortation to some ideal that we can decide for ourselves, right, to ignore or to reshape, to fit our time and, and place? Or is it an aspiration that is out of reach? It's just out of reach. And then, you know, we just support other people to do this kind of practice. And so this is kind of part of what I wanted to explore. So as I said, the Japanese word for leaving home is shuke. And it's a compound of two words. Shutsu is going out, means to leave. It's leaving. Um, and ke is house or home. Right? So these are elided into shuke. And <clears throat> what we call priest ordination in Japanese Soto Zen, as I said, is shuke tokudo. So this is usually translated as leaving home, Right, going out of the house, quite literally, out the door. <laughs> um, but the but tokudo, which is often uh, considered uh, something like accomplishing the way, right, is actually, that's not a good translation of tokudo, I found out. Um, the do of tokudo, many people think it's like the, the dao, right, it means way, so accomplishing the way, but it actually means crossing over. It means to cross over, to accomplish crossing over. So Zaike Tokudo is staying home but crossing over, and Shuke Tokudo is leaving home and crossing over, which is kind of interesting. <clears throat> tokudo means to accomplish crossing over, right? It's just two different modes of crossing over, right? So we have these two ceremonies and these two possibilities which are offered to us by ceremony, leaving home and accomplishing the way, which is priest ordination, and staying home and accomplishing the way. Right? <clears throat> I already mentioned jukai is the other way of talking about staying home. Uh, it's the giving and receiving of precepts. So, 
for all of these ceremonies, whether it's lay people staying home and accomplishing the way or so-called priests going out and accomplishing the way, we take the same vows, the 16 bodhisattva precepts, right? Um, That's at least in our Mahayana tradition. Um, There are many different versions of these uh, number of vows that people take at different times, right? But that's what we do. Now, according to the Buddha himself, home-leaving and precepts go together. For him, this renunciation and home-leaving and precepts go together. And that's an example of how it seems very clear that we're supposed to do something. And he says, although one can stay home and observe the precepts, leaving home and taking the precepts is superior. So this is our, our root teacher and the earliest expression of this ideal. Buddha even says that it is better to take the form of a monk and break the precepts than to stay home and observe them, right? So that seems to be setting all of us up to fail, right, (laughs) right away. And this is one of the many statements that householding practitioners confront, which carries this message, at least for me, of you're less than, right? Your practice is less than. So we also offer these same precepts for a lot of other ceremonies, including weddings, funerals, right, and other occasions. It's like what we do. The only thing we know how to do is ceremony, precepts, right? And um, I'm not going to talk more about the sewing part today, Um, but we, you know, it is like a new start. If you were at the ceremony, there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, cutting off, cutting a little bit of the hair, which is a symbolic way of shaving the head, right? And your teacher gives you a new name, and you get this new lineage. You actually are given a new family structure to find yourself in. It seems like a replacement and a renunciation of what you have already, what's already brought you to this point in your life, right? You are in a new family tree that traces your descent from Shakyamuni Buddha himself through all the generations of Indian, Chinese and Japanese ancestors, right, in our Buddhist family, right? You are a child of Buddha, says the ceremony. It's, it's poignant, and there's a little part of us that goes, oh, this feels like abandonment, right? We're abandoning something else. And then we vow these vows to live by the 16 precepts, and we ask for support in keeping these vows, right? The monastic path, right, what is that? How many of you have ever practiced in a monastery, a Zen monastery, or any other? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Am I missing anybody? Here count? <laughs> what? Does here does count? count? Not really. Right. <laughs> we're a temple, but we're not really. There, there's some monastic aspects to this place, but real, not really. Okay, so you know, and me, right? Um, and so this is another form, right? We go away for a while, and then we come back which I kind of felt like was cheating. I actually really kind of felt when I went, because I didn't, I knew I had some place to come back to, a home and a job and family and friends, that I wasn't really putting it all on the line the way some people were. I mean, when I went to Tassajara, our training monastery, people said, do you have a storage unit? And I didn't. And they're like, okay, well, you know, we'll know that you've got, you've crossed over when you get the storage unit. (laughs) And then you empty the storage unit because you open it one day and say, I don't need all this. What's this? I don't need all this. <laughs> so, you know, you can spend weeks or months or years in monasteries, pretty much, you know, in a kind of lockdown situation, right? And you're subject to a very rigorous daily schedule, doing whatever you're assigned to do with little so called free time or privacy, right? And it's highly encouraged for anyone who is able to undertake it, to do that. And if sometimes people come to me and say, should I go to Tassajara? Should I do this three-week retreat in Green Gulch? Yes, I say. <laughs> However, <laughs> there's a cost, right? Um, and not the least is an actual monetary cost, at least in the United States. It costs money to go to a monastery. And this is, this is usually considered essential training for priests. Depends on the teacher, depends on the lineage, but priests are usually expected to take some time and be a full-time monastic, right? But we are not in this kind of training situation here, right? Priests and non-priests are practicing the same practice. The main difference is we're dressed differently, and I'm the person who leads service, and I'm, you know, 
the person that looks that most people look to and say, help me out here, <laughs> all right? I'm confused, can you help me? So we take the same vows, and in our time and place, we have to engage with everyday life, right? I own a, I own a home, I have a partner, I have a husband, right? I have family, I have an aged mother, I have friends in a lot of places, I'm, I'm still in this realm. And, you know, I have to worry about a budget, <laughs> right? And all of it. So what is this that we're doing, right? How is it that we stay home and how is it that we leave home? So Dogen actually, our, you know, who's our 13th century founder, he actually wrote about home leaving quite a bit. And so this is going to, I'm going to present some teachings from Dogen that kind of counterbalance or comment on what Buddha said that I just quoted. He spoke of it in Bendowa, which we were studying uh, during the, the um, practice period, um, which is his earliest writing on practice, and also in two chapters or essays in his collection of, es- of teachings called the Shobogenzo, which is a big fat book, right? And one of them was called Shuke, <laughs> which I've already talked about, and the other Shuke Kudoku, which means the virtue of leaving home, right? So there was an, a short essay called Shuke, and then one he wrote late in his life called The Virtue of Shuke, The Virtue of Home Leaving. Um, in the later one, Shuke Kudoku, he begins by talking about a difference between lay and home leaving practice. So he seems to be upholding this dichotomy, right? There's this, and there's this, and they're different, and one is better than the other. And he does this by quoting one of our Indian ancestors, Nagarjuna, who is an important teacher of the second century of, of our era, who says that liberation, Nagarjuna now is saying, liberation is difficult for lay people because if they attend to their affairs, their practice declines. Probably you have all experienced this, what do I do today? Do I have time you know, to go to the zendo, right? That sort of thing. Do I have time to sit? Do I have time to read? So if you attend to your affairs, your practice may suffer. If you attend to practice your affairs, meaning your life outside of that, doesn't prosper. (laughs) And he says, this is quoting Nagarjuna, he says, without choosing one and abandoning the other, lay people need to practice dharma. And then he says, this is difficult. (laughs) He does not say, though, impossible. Right? And Unfortunately, then, I think unfortunately, as we're trying to find our way through this question, the fascicle, that is Dogen's fascicle, after quoting Nagarjuna, he goes on for pages to extol and to elevate leaving home for men and women. So this is a kind of radical thing because, you know, the original community of the Sangha was only men, and then when women were admitted, they were separate and treated unequally, right? They were it's like, okay, yes, you're, con- you're, you're capable of practice, but... Here are some additional restrictions on you, and right, you have uh, a harder path. So if you read this essay of Dogen's, it's, it's hard to read it, I think, without feeling some discomfort, since it states rather clearly in many points that home leaving is better than staying home, than what we call lay practice, right? not just that lay practice is more difficult. And Nagarjuna says also, according to Dogen, that it's better for a home lever to break the precepts, right? A home lever to break the precepts than to practice virtually as a lay person. So he seems to reiterate this early, you know, kind of judgment, right? Better to be a monk and break the precepts than to stay home and keep them. What? You know? Right? Yeah. So for us stay-at-home types, right, it's hard to not take offense <laughs> or to lose hope. But Dogen himself said, Not even one of the Buddhas of the past, present, and future in the ten directions. That's everywhere, right? Not every one of the Buddhas of the past, present, and future in the ten directions became a Buddha as a householder. If you read the stories, they have all left home. But he says, because there were Buddhas in the past, there is leaving the household and receiving the precepts. The attainment of the, way, of the way by sentient beings invariably depends on their leaving the household and receiving the precepts. Because leaving the household and receiving the precepts is the definitive way of all Buddhas, the merit is immeasurable. 
I feel like the door slamming shut when I hear that. And then he gives many examples, Dogen, gives many examples of lay people who accomplished great understanding but did not leave home, and yet he still maintained this view, right? It's better to leave home. And in another essay called Jukai, right, giving and receiving the precepts, he says, all Buddhas in the three temporal worlds, past, present, and future, affirm that to leave home life behind is to reveal the truth, capital T. The 28 Indian ancestors and the six Chinese ancestors, all of whom transmitted the Buddha's mind seal, were, each and every one of them, monastics. Most likely it was because they strictly observed the monastic regulations that they were able to become outstanding models for those in the three worlds of desire, form, and beyond form. Thus, in practicing meditation and inquiring of the way with their master, they made the precepts and the monastic regulations foremost. Had they not distanced themselves from their faults and guarded against misdeeds, how could they have realized Buddhahood and become ancestors? So this is a little interesting to me because Dogen isn't just talking about the ethical precepts, right? He's not just talking about precepts that, like the 16 that we are familiar with. He's also talking about monastic regulations, what we call the Shingi, and what in early Buddhism is called the Vinaya, right? one of the three groups of teachings that came down from the Buddha in early Buddhism. Right? The Vinaya, the monastic regulations that number in the hundreds <laughs> by the time we get to the developed form of Theravada Buddhism. Right? Ordained monks in some traditions observe almost 300 regulations that regulate everything, when you eat, what you eat, every aspect of, you know, don't sleep on a high bed, don't <coughs> dance, don't listen to music, of course don't drink, don't have sex, you know, on and on and on, right? He's talking about these very uh, restrictive, very precise uh, regulations, and these are the ones that women had additional regulations over, so they had over 300 to observe, right? So the Zen teacher Brad Warner, who some of you may have read, suggests that in these writings, where Dogen is grappling with this and kind of extolling home leaving, Dogen is like an AA sponsor. <laughs> and he's talking to someone that, that she is sponsoring, says Brad, right, and trying to instill confidence in the 12-step program. Right? right? Do these things and you will succeed. Right? This is the tried and true way of healing yourself, curing yourself becoming a whole person. And in Warner's view, the monks at remote, cold, and rigorous Aheji Monastery, right, in the mountainous north of Japan, which was founded by Dogen, needed to be inspired, right, to follow this difficult life, right? The wake-up bell at Tassahara happens at 3.50 a.m., and the first period of zazen is at 4.20, right? <laughs> you just have to get up and go. And if you don't come, somebody knocks on your door and says, Choro, are you coming to Zazen? Are you sick? No? Then come to Zazen. <laughs> so, you know, according to Warner, we need to be inspired to do this. You know, and he says, it's not that you can't get sober without AA, you know, or that the 12 steps absolutely guarantee that you'll get and stay sober, right? Um, but this is the path is likely to succeed, or is more likely to succeed than staying home and being subject to all the temptations. So in a way, this is a way of fudging, right? But I think there's a kind of insight here that I'll follow up on for the rest of what I have to say today, right? Um, some people also suggest that Dogen emphasized the monastic path late in his life because he had to withdraw into the mountains for all kinds of reasons, political conflicts and inter-Buddhist conflicts, and he establishes training monastery away from all of that, right? Whereas earlier he had seemed more open to and embracing of lay practice, and he had lay, uh, very, sometimes quite, quite uh, advanced lay practitioners. You know, in the early teachings he's recommending zazen for everyone, but later he's like, I'm in the mountains, come and join me, <laughs> right? So let's turn to the crossing over part of this. According to Dogen, the Buddha also said, addressing his followers, he says this, so this is really important. He says, you, home leavers, right, so he's talking to his monks, you, home leavers, should not arouse an unwholesome mind. 
If you do, you are not home leavers. You, home leavers, your action and speech should be in accord with each other. If they aren't, you are not home leavers. Dobin says, I abandoned my parents, siblings, family members, relatives, and teachers to leave the household and practice the way. So he includes all the things that, that we find support with. Teachers, too. I abandon everybody. Right? Indeed, this is the time to assemble wholesome awakening while you're in this monastery. It is not the time to assemble unwholesome awakening. What is unwholesome awakening? Right? Here he says, wholesome awakening is to have a kinder heart towards all sentient beings, as if they were babies. Unwholesome awakening is not like this. And this reminds me of the three minds, which Dogen talks about in his instructions to the temple cook. He writes an entire chapter just about being Tenzo. And those three minds are joyful mind, magnanimous mind, and parental mind. Sometimes it's called grandmotherly mind. The word is robashin in Japanese, the mind of an, literally of an old woman. Not just a grandmother, but an old woman. Right? The kind heart that nurtures and cares for sentient beings as if they were the smallest of children. So this is a kind of antidote, I think, to this idea of stripped-down, rigorous, kind of dry practice, right? Renouncing the world. It's not just that simple. And so towards the end of this essay, Dogen says, quote, you have not only received a human body, which is rare to achieve, but you have also encountered Buddha Dharma, which is rarer to encounter, right? So it's not just fortunate to be born as a human being, it's even, it's even more fortunate to hear the Dharma as a human being. Quickly abandon all relations, leave the household, and practice the way. You can always <coughs> encounter kings, ministers, and family members. On the other hand, Buddha Dharma is as difficult to encounter as an Udambara blossom. This is a thing that blossoms like once every hundred years. Right? When impermanence arrives with no time, none of the kings, ministers, intimate friends, servants, family members, or rare treasures can help you. You go to the Yellow Spring by yourself. The Yellow Spring is the world of the dead, the land of the dead. You go to the Yellow Spring by yourself. The only things that accompany you are wholesome and unwholesome karmas. So this wholesome karma, wholesome mind, wholesome awakening is really important to Dogen. And in the Zuimonki, which is a collection of his informal talks, he says, lay women might attain the way as a result of practicing the Buddha Dharma as they are. However, no monk or nun, which is, you know, uh, just a female monk, attains it unless he or she has the mind of one who has left home. This is not because the Buddha Dharma discriminates between one person and another, but rather because the person doesn't enter the Dharma. There must be a difference in the attitude of leaving home and not leaving home. A person who has the mind of a monk or nun who has left home that is to say, free of attachments, even though still with family and friends, will be released from samsara. A monk or nun who has the mind of a layperson, a person who stays home, thinks only about wealth, career, status, and such, and has double faults. Their attitude should be quite different. It is not that it is difficult to do, but to do it completely is difficult. This is very Dogen, by the way. The practice of being released from samsara and attaining the way seems to be sought by everyone, but those who accomplish it are few. Life and death is the great matter. Impermanence is swift. So he's restating what he said in, in another writing. Do not let your mind slacken. If you abandon the world, you should abandon it completely. The names provisionally used to distinguish monks and nuns from lay people are not at all important. So do you see where he's going? He's basically saying, don't get caught by this concept of literally staying home and literally leaving home. If you leave home and are still consumed with like, how come, you know, I didn't get that 
temple job I really wanted? Why wasn't I invited to be doan for this particular ceremony? You know, why is my teacher not treating me right? You are still stuck in this samsara, right? You just take all with you to the monastery. Anybody who's been to the monastery will tell you. It just follows you, (laughs) right? Because this is our karmic life. So it's our attitude that's of particular importance. Um, so just another look at Bendawa, which I quoted earlier, right? And part of it, for those who were in the study group, remember, it takes the form of questions and answers, right? He, he like just says, okay, bring me your questions, and he gets all kinds of questions. And in two of those, he particularly speaks about home leaving. So uh, question, um, let's see, this is what, yes. So question 13 someone asks, do I have to enter a monastic life to follow your practice? He's actually setting forth a new form of of Buddhism in Japan. And this questioner says, can normal people, normal people, do it too? And And his reply is, ancestors teach that there are no distinctions of gender or status as to who can understand the Buddha Dharma. Right? And then the next question, 14, the questioner says, but monks can leave behind all the cares of daily life and devote themselves completely to the zazen path. How can those pursuing the affairs of the world dedicate themselves to practice and fulfill the Buddha way? And his answer is, the ancestors have in their great benevolence opened to us the vast gate of compassion. So again, it's soft, right? It's love. It's compassion that each and every living being might achieve realization. Absolutely anyone may enter. This has been amply proven both in the past and the present. For example, emperors and statesmen, however preoccupied, has never, have nevertheless devoted themselves to the way of Zazen and penetrated the great path of the Buddhas. So it simply depends on your commitment, not on whether your body stays at home or leaves. Imagining that your daily activities could interfere with the Buddha Dharma, you're really saying that you think the Buddha's Dharma doesn't exist within the world. But actually, there are no worldly dharmas in the Buddha Dharma. (laughs) So collapse all distinctions. Get rid of all these concepts. So in other words, to make these distinctions between the everyday and practice is a mistaken view for Dogen. And this accords with the Zen understanding that practice, Zazen, are not limited to the cushion or to a monastery. And Dogen remarks on this often. If you start looking, you'll find it, right? And in the context of leaving home, he says uh, in Shuke, the short essay about home leaving, this was in 1246, he, and this again, Shuke as a noun means a person who has left home, right? Um, he starts with a long quote from monastic regulations, Zen monastic regulations, which, which praise receiving the precepts as a monk. But then Dogen says, and Dogen says, someone who has not left home is never a Buddha ancestor, right? This seems to accord with the harsh views about the impossibility of becoming a Buddha without leaving home. But then he says, remember in truth that the day of leaving home is beyond unity and difference, right? So beyond all thinking and judging and concepts. And he also says, the day of leaving home has transcended already the day of leaving home. And though this may be so, when nets and cages are broken open, the day of leaving home is just the day of leaving home. And the day of realizing the truth is just the day of realizing the truth. So here it seems to me he's very clearly emphasizing the non-duality of leaving home and staying home. There really isn't something that we should call leaving or not leaving home. And as Dogen often does, he invites to go us beyond such labels. Leaving home is just this. Immediately it is just leaving home. And at the end of the fascicle he says that to leave home is to practice for the liberation of others, right? not just for ourselves. He says, any place where we see, hear, and learn in practice the Buddha, the Dharma preaching that in my youth I left my family life, we meet the Buddha's state of Anuttara Samyak Sambodhi, which is the Sanskrit for unsurpassed, complete, perfect enlightenment. He says, how important is the virtue of leaving home? As important as your head. 
but <laughs> it's not to be taken so literally. So to conclude, I think we can take several things away from all these writings and stories about the home-leaving life. Dogen, following the example of the Buddha himself, promotes leaving home, taking the precepts, and taking up the form of a Buddha as the most efficacious way to actualize Buddha ourselves. But to take the form and the precepts without the mind of practicing for the sake of others, in fact, for all beings, is not to be a true home-leaver. If we include everything in our practice, if we truly realize that there is no place, no one, no thing that isn't practice, then we have left the idea of home and leaving home. We have left behind our idea that this is me and this is mine, my family, my home, my concerns, my affair, my practice, right? my practice. <laughs> Dogen was wise enough to understand that substituting other affairs, my zazen, my seat in the zendo, my rakasu, my dharma name, my enlightenment, right, just keeps us stuck wherever we are. Crossing over isn't going anywhere. It's expanding our life and our responsibility beyond what we are strongly and karmically oriented to, regarding as ours. And about this, Koan France says, to accept who you are, just you, who you are, and to accept your place in the world is to accept that you have a responsibility, one that is too big for there ever to be a way out. <laughs> there is no other side. Crossing over itself is just an idea. There is no point at which you have paid your debts to your family, to your ancestors, to your friends, and to the universe. There is no moment, he says, at which you are permitted to regress, to admit to being an adult, which he says is to admit to being Buddha, <laughs> is to agree to what has always been your situation. <laughs> it's to say, okay, I won't fight it. Thank you very much. So, any comments or questions? We kind of went on for a while, so you may be tired. <laughs> but I see a hand up in the back, and I can't see who it belongs to, but... Whoever it is, yes. First, thank you for your talk. You're welcome. Um, then the question that I have is, if we're here today, mm -hmm. haven't we already left home? Yeah, well, you did go out the door and come here instead of doing other things. Right? <laughs> and it's always kind of a, a, an issue when you're creating a schedule for a, a, a lay-centered temple. What works for people? Right? It's, it's always inconvenient on some level to like say, I'm going to make time for this every week or however many times you can come in a, in a month or a year. So yeah, you've, you've put down everything else to sit here, to sit zazen, to be with this group of people, whoever they are, right? You never know who's going to show up. And to listen to a talk by some person who's up on a platform, you know, trying to express something. Yes. Yeah, it's a choice, right? It's a choice, and it's a choice to maybe not do other things. And in that sense, you could say you're leaving home. Yeah. Yes? Um, I, um, I'm coming from a specific place in my life saying this, but I'm, I moved to Austin for a reason, hmm. and I'm Canadian, hmm. and I'm confronted right now in the next six months to figure out another home, like going back, visas, etc. And it seems to me that um, this talk was kind of remnant, but that the concept of leaving home, like there's always a home that starts emerging wherever you go. And I thought I had crossed coming here, like leaving my country and attaining something in that process, which I did but it doesn't prepare me to leave home again. <laughs> it really doesn't. Um, or maybe it did, but, and I'm seeing things in a specific way, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested maybe in exploring that ever leaving home, you know, or the home kind of builds up on its own, like it coagulates. <laughs> or, <laughs> not coagulates, not coagulates, I'm uh, crystallizes around you or something. Like, 
like it, it generates itself. Yeah. Not coagulate. That, that's because I'm French and I'm trying to say a word. <laughs> coagulate is good. <laughs> I think it's, it's that, a bit darker. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that uh, that sense of coagulating is, you know, it's sticky, it, it mm-hmm. stops flowing, right? There's a sense of like, uh, yeah. Well, you know, human beings and all animals seek shelter. They seek a place to go where they're going to be safe. We're nesters. We like nesting. And I was I've completely blown away. I, the first time I went to Tassajara for a three-month practice period, you know, I, since I knew I wasn't going to stay indefinitely, I traveled pretty light, and I also didn't want a lot of stuff, right? So I brought what I needed. I followed the list, work clothes, rain gear, you know, all that kind of thing, my robes, my bowls. And I opened the door to my room. I was fortunate I had a single room, very small, and I slept in my sleeping bag. I didn't, you know, even put sheets on my bed. And I, I was like, yes, this is it. You know, it's very, very simple. And then I was I went down to visit someone down the hall who was in the monastic system and was doing practice period after practice period. They had an entire world in their rooms. They had brought Stuff was hanging on the walls, framed, you know, they had rugs, they had, it was very, they had their own altar. I was like, what the heck, you know? (laughs) This is what they felt they needed to be comfortable, right? And there was room on the truck that came down with all of our our stuff, so, you know. And of course they had to disassemble all of that and move to a different room for the summer, which was coming, and then, so they had this stuff to cart around. And that's when I first got the sense that, oh, this monastic thing, hmm, it's not as locked down as I thought, you know. And I'm saying this with a lot of affection, you know, for this, because it was so human. It was like, oh, look, this is like a better bedroom than I had growing up. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, we have this impulse to create comfort and things that we feel that that support us, right? The first thing I did was go down to what they call Goodwill, which is like donated stuff that people leave behind, and found a don- a, a, a really scuzzy bath mat, which I washed because I put my feet on that cold floor at you know <laughs> four forty in the morning, and you know it was cold, right? So it was nice to have that little thing just put my feet on some cloth and not on the cold floor. I watched myself do it. I was like, this is hilarious. You know, <laughs> it's, it's this is bath mat. I'm clinging to it. You know, comfort. <laughs> yeah. So writ large, that's our life, right? And I think the, the positive side of this is being at home wherever you are. Right? Not necessarily constructing the ideal nest, right? Like, I got to have this here, and I need my bath mat, and I need my pictures, and my, you know. But like, how can you be at ease? wherever you are, right? That's, that's a meeting life as it is. So, good luck <laughs> to you, <laughs> to all of us. Yes, another, uh, yeah. So, I, I just wanted to say, I, I feel like the leaving home is a good way to break the illusion. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way to break the illusion that there is permanence, mm-hmm. that there is security, mm-hmm. there are these things here. And that that's just one way to, to do it, is to, let's, let's break this by leaving home. Yeah, thank you. I think that's right. I think that, that leaving actually can, can teach us how to how what we really need. Right? What do we really need? You know, and you got you get no choice in a monastery. You eat what they give you, right? There are some accommodations, like for people who have gluten sensitivity, or you know, we, Tassajara accommodated vegans. And there are you know, if you get sick, people will take care of you and all of that. But it's, uh, there's not, you know, you, you never, no one says, and what would you like for breakfast? You know, <laughs> <laughs> this is it. I remember there's one particular form of cereal that, that I would like watch the pot as it was coming down that, you know, it's like, oh no, not that. <laughs> <laughs> so you, kind of, you just get to see how things operate for you and for everyone else. And it's good to just to, to say, you know, yeah, this is, thank you. Thank you for that cereal that I don't really like very much, but thank you. Yeah. But yeah, thanks for that comment. I think I skipped you. Did okay. You? Okay. Would you? Just brief. Uh, yeah. I, the I guess concept of home leaving is we've I've heard this mentioned here before is yeah. kind of going away from the me plan to the we plan. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> yeah, you should 
copyright that. Yeah. yeah well, I didn't. I've heard it here. Yeah. 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 The new yeah. plan versus the we plan. I could see. Yeah. The, I could see the best-selling yeah. book right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Under spirituality and uh-huh. self-help, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's true, and I think that's what Dogen is really emphasizing, right? That if we continue our self-centeredness, which follows you as you wherever you go, then wherever we are, we're going to be caught in this cycle of wanting, clinging, suffering because we don't get what we want. Yeah. And yet that yearning that I feel too sometimes, like wanting to go back to Sahara, wanting to spend that, it's like life can be exhausting, modern life can be exhausting, the constant spin cycle of news and things to do and choices to make. And as I, I looking at my schedule, just speaking personally, we have travel plan that we haven't undertaken in about five years now, you know, coming up in 2023, and there's a part of me that's excited, you know, to like see people I haven't seen, and, and then there's a part of me that's like, oh God, I'm already tired. Just making the arrangements, you know, just thinking about how to keep everything going. I'm exhausted looking at it. Yeah. So it helps us to kind of like what Suzuki Roshi asked all the time. The important thing is, sometimes he would have an answer or he would just say what is the most important thing but sometimes he would say the most important thing is to understand what is the most important thing right so being in that kind of even being in sashin is a kind of home leaving right a retreat for a few days you know what it's like those of you who have done it right it's a it's putting it all down <laughs> and just being here ideally Uh, I like the, the analogy or the, the idea of uh, leaving home as a breaking the illusion, and I also see it in a way also leaving home can itself also be the illusion um, uh, if you don't truly leave it. Um, and uh, uh, it brings also to mind uh, this poem we studied a couple months ago. Uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it was about uh, uh, likening the world to uh, falling apart house with good bones. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. That was, some, that was a poem somebody... Was that, did that come up, Pat? Do you remember? Was that part of our council practice? Yeah, it was uh, yeah. council practice. Yeah. yeah, but the yeah, I can't quite remember it. I think it wasn't the poem that we were, we had two groups, one upstairs and one downstairs, and the one upstairs read a different poem, I think. Oh, okay. But yeah, 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 yeah uh, falling apart with good bones. I like yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, uh, and so uh, how could you truly ever leave uh, uh, leave uh, a world that is a home that is falling apart? Um, uh, maybe you could pull yourself up, uh, you know, on the top of a mountain and escape everyone and think, oh, I'm going to liberate myself that way. Um, but uh, if you're uh, in the burning down, falling apart home, uh, trying to uh, liberate others instead, uh, is uh, when looking at it from that perspective, it jars with this notion of, uh, you know, literally leaving home uh, being somehow superior uh, to the lay people who are uh, following precepts and uh, trying to. Uh, be in the world yeah. and and practice in the world. And I think we are constantly told when we're in a monastery, don't think that you you know that you're separate, right? That mm-hmm. that this practice is somehow beneficial to everyone, right? Mm-hmm. It's and that sounds like a cop out to people who are saying you know, uh, oh come out here and like you know come to this demonstration or write, sign this petition or you know let's go out and do something good you know like let's be socially engaged. And you're hiding, you know, up in the mountains in mm-hmm. northern Japan, or apparently it's extremely wet right now in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so you know the rain is coming down, but you but you you can't really. That's what that's why I like that last quote. You can't really escape your responsibility for your human life. It's a big responsibility, so you might as well sit down. <laughs> I think there were some other hands. Anybody else? Anybody online? Oh, yeah. Charles, thank you so much. That was really um, very rich. There's so much in there. And it's, it just really has my, my brain spinning in, uh, in good ways. <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the things, one of the threads that is spinning for me is um, um, uh, in terms of leaving home uh, versus staying home, it, has, it really has me thinking about having a family mm. and how on the one hand having a family was a uh, very uh, much 
about I don't want to focus on myself anymore, um, and I want to provide for others and things like that. So in that regard, kind of leaving home of myself, but then at the same time, at the exact same time, trying to build a very stable, safe, reliable home for my family. And how those two things, it's, it's just that leaving moment coming home at, at one, in one moment. I think Dogen is kind of advising us to expand our notion of our responsibility, right? So one way of liberating yourself from selfishness, I can do what I want, I don't have any, you know, is to have a family, right? To, to, to put others on the same plane as yourself or above you even and say, I'm going to, we're going to take care of each other. If we have children, we're, you know, we have a responsibility to those children. But, you know, children grow up and relationships change, right? And then, so how do we find stability with all of that, right? We can't keep our kids babies, right? How can you maintain that mind of nurturing all beings as gently and as lovingly and with as much attention, whatever form they take, right? The baby thing is like a metaphor for, I mean, my mother's like a baby now. She's 96 and at the end of her life and, you know, it's, that's, she's not a child, but we take care of her, you know. She took care of us, we take care of her. My sister bears the brunt of it because she, my mother lives with her 2,000 miles from here. Um, but, you know, it's that sense. It's like everything deserves that kind of care and attention, and you have particular karmic responsibilities to the people that you have made agreements with and that you've brought into the being, Right? But that doesn't mean you're expanding your regard rather than just narrowing it. So we start off maybe getting rid of, you know, or dealing with our self-centeredness. Maybe the answer is to narrow our responsibilities and, and our preferences to be focused on that way of life as opposed to the all-out, I can do anything I feel like. And then, which is not a bad thing, but you know, right? It's just a different thing. And then we realize that we're not actually not responsible for others. And this is a big debate in our society, you know, what is our responsibility? But there's a, you know, a whole debate about like, well, those people screwed up their lives and it's on them, right? That's their karma. <laughs> <laughs> That's not really the bodhisattva path. Uh, one, one more, <laughs> Pat, or two more, and then we'll stop. Go ahead, yeah. When I think of the reasons that it's hard to um, achieve enlightenment by staying home, um, I think that I think of the need to acquire resources, which is inherently competitive, and it seems impossible to be fully aligned with compassion. So I guess I'm wondering if it's you know is it possible to be competitive? and the enlightened. Yeah, well, we live in this system, right, from which we can't really entirely separate. I mean, we can try. There are people who live, who live wholly, you know, on the generosity of others and accept what's offered. But there's still a need to, we need to feed ourselves, we need to clothe ourselves, we need to take care of, we're supposed to take care of ourselves. We've been given this gift of life. We're not supposed to disregard it. Buddha tried that, right? He tried mortifying himself. He tried not eating, he tried all these very strenuous practices and thought, oh, this is not it. He came up with the middle way between luxury and that. And I think we shouldn't be fooled. If you, go, if you hang out in a monastery, you will find that there's competition for resources. <laughs> a better room, a different position, uh, stability. I mean, some people stay and are invited to stay and become teachers, and some people who might have that aspiration don't get offered that. Right? So it's like... Society has the seeds of its own dissatisfaction in it. And the thing is, just how do we meet that and practice with it and, you know, free ourselves from suffering? How do we find liberation? And, you know, part of it is to accept our situation, <laughs> right? To accept that this is the time and place we are in and, you know, do the least amount of harm possible. Yeah. Not add to the suffering. 
Pat, I want to give you the last word if you want, if you want it. <laughs> well, okay, that's good because uh, this has been such a good talk and such a good uh, conversation, and I think it really helped me realize uh, that this paradox of leaving home and is it good or is it bad, that leaving home is really much more than an actual thing. It's actually a state of mind, and if you can live in a way that you're not always grabbing for your own for your own comfort and for your own safety, if you can live in a way that you can let go of those things a bit, you're 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 leaving home that way. I mean, whether you're a house or a monastery or surrounded by comforts, or I mean, it's, it has to do with how you think about um, what's important. You know, so if your own comfort and your own safety is the most important thing. You definitely have not left home. Well, also, if you think, oh, this is good, but it could be a little better, right? You know, like, I have enough, and then you kind of, like, want more anyway, right? <laughs> That's the very definition of clinging, right? Being dissatisfied with what we have. So I think it's not to be read as you shouldn't want to be, to, you know, we just chanted, may all beings be happy, right? May they be joyous and live in safety and so on and so forth, free from harm. So we wish that for others and for ourselves. It's, not, it's okay to wish that for yourself. But I think part of the attitude is like, if you lose it, not to be completely undone, because we actually can't control what happens. We have the illusion of control, because we, kinda, we can sort of control things, right? We all have had that experience of, I applied for that job and I got it. I succeeded, I controlled it, <laughs> right? But what happens when you lose it? Right? How do you go on? living in an appreciative way, right, and maybe not succumbing to fear and, like, still finding gratitude. And this gets increasingly important to me as I get older, you know, and notice things changing and, and think, oh, you know, in the past I would say, yeah, in five years I'm going to do this. I have no idea. <laughs> it's like five years from now I'm going to be how old and what's going to happen? I don't know, Right. So, you know, be, being willing to be okay with uncertainty as well as happy with certainty. Like, to be okay with uncertainty and get up every day and, you know, water the plants. Right. Thank you very much.